Do you ever think about death? Like really, your death. How do you want to die? Who do you want there? Do you want extensive life-saving measures? What do you want your death to look like? Let's talk about what death looks like in Thailand. My name is Izzy Schwab, and I am a student in cultural anthropology at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and this book review is for the World Ethnography Project. And today, we are going to talk about the exciting and new eth ethnography by Scott Stonington, The Spirit Ambulance, Choreographing End of Life in Thailand. I picked this book because the title caught my attention. It seemed like maybe it had some medical anthropology in it, and I am in school now for some sort of degree in medicine, and hope to one day work in the medical field. So, I was very excited. Now, a little more about this book. It is very new and was published just this last year in 2020. Scott Stonington is an internal medicine doctor and is a medical and cultural anthropologist. Stonington chose to do his work in Thailand because of the roots in Buddhism and Hinduism. He also was interested in universal health care and features in Thailand that promise to highlight encounters between biomedicine and other worldviews, and the remote villages and farming communities with urban hospitals and fully equipped medical technology. These inquiries created assumptions that created his reason for study. He focused on the dying process as a tension between biomedicine and other norms of intervention and the way the dying needs to be managed. Throughout this book, Sonington uses real stories of patients. He followed through their end-of-life processes in northern Thailand and surrounding areas. I think this is what drew me in the most because of the real stories of the patients. Something about life stories really draws me in, and it felt so personal. In these stories, he shares that he focuses on the stages of death. Okay, now let's talk about what I read. First patient we meet is Jandy. Jandy is a patient at Chiang Mai Hospital, and when she arrived at the ER, she was found to be suffering from blood in her lungs from either cancer or tuberculosis, and her lung function was declining rapidly. The doctors at the hospital said that there was nothing more that they could do for her. She had an endotracheal tube for her breathing, and the family needed to focus on keeping her alive long enough to get her home. One of the biggest questions for this patient was the ethical practice of removing her trach tube. Because it's not ethical to remove the tube in the hospital, someone needed to be there to remove it once the family got home. The family took what they call the spirit ambulance home, which I'll explain more in detail later. The second very important patient that Sorrington followed was Ariat. She was a patient that helped him learn a lot about the karma master. Through her end of life, Ariat practiced Sadi, which is mindfulness, through her dying process of pancreatic cancer. She refused pain meds and all aggressive intervention because it will disrupt her ability to study her tumor. At one point during her stay at the hospital, she was having convulsions, and after these, she said she was closer to understanding mind-body relations. Ariat had a high level of mind-body. He connected this ideal to the teachings of famous monk Buddhasa, which we will discuss more later on. Ariat says that through meditation and her experience of pain, with much focus, she did not suffer because... Pain and suffering are not the same thing. Mindfulness sometimes actually increases my pain because she is so aware of it, but I always, but it always decreases my suffering from it. She named her tumor the Karma Master because resolving karma is important to Buddhist practice end of life, and she is trying to grow and make meaning of it all. Okay, let's talk about the phase one of dying process, paying the debt of life. Throughout this entire book, Stonington tells the stories of patients he followed and how they outline the steps and importance of a good death in Thailand. To start off the first chapter, we hear about three brothers in Chiang Ming Uni whose uncle is dying, and they need to pay back the debt of life. In this specific circumstance, they live hours away, and there's no way for them to get there to care for him. So they need to send blood to their uncle to live, and the universal health care system in Thailand made this possible. I know this sounds crazy, to send family blood 
to send family blood via mail, but paying the debt of life was often imbricated with other types of care for dying individuals, and these types of care move fluidly in the complex framework, meaning that it's more common for debts to be paid other ways than just the actual care. Now let's talk about heart, mind, energy, or come along chai. Manu was a patient with hormonal cancer, and his granddaughter, Puak, says not to tell him what his diagnosis is. He needs Kamalong Chai to heal and be in the right state of mind, allowing him, Kamalong Chai, to pay back her debt of life. When Sonnington was questioning hospital staff, one of the nurses said, Manu was just as much responsible for not knowing his diagnosis and prognosis as Puak was for not telling him. Nan Ban was another patient who was dying of lung cancer and also doesn't know. The doctor had accidentally told Nanban the diagnosis, and now the family is eager to participate in Sonnington's project. Because of the doctor's misstep, it threw off the whole choreography of his death, and Nanban declined very quickly and did not make it home in time to die, thus creating a bad death. Through some of these experiences, Sonnington got to work closely with hospital staff and hear their stories and explanations. One said that the patients know and they don't know, because they know that they are in the hospital and that there is something very wrong, but their family obviously chooses not to tell them the specifics, which lets the patients know that it is bad. This was really hard for me to understand how they could be in such good spirits, even knowing so little, but still knowing that they are going to die. The next chapter talks more about the spirit ambulance, which is another essential part of choreographing the end of life. Tao is a is dying of liver and total organ failure. He is in the hospital and has asked to go home, signaling that he is ready to die. When his sons realize this, it gets messy, and they are stuck between paying the debt of life and the actual process of getting him home. In order to die a good death, he needed to get home to die safely, so they took a spirit ambulance home in order to get there quickly. FYI, the spirit ambulance is a literal vehicle to take the patients home. The spirit, spirit leaves the body in the last breath, so if a patient dies in the hospital or on the way home, their spirit could get lost or be in danger, thus not being able to have a good rebirth. In northern Thailand and these rural areas, the families often live hours away from the hospital, and it gets risky when trying to time their death. When the hospital tells families that there is nothing more that they can do for their loved ones, this usually begins the process of trying to choreograph a ride home where it is safe for the spirits to die. In some cases, like that of Jan Pegg and her mother, she was unsure if she wanted her mother to go home or stay at the hospital. They are both safe places, but different kinds of safe. At home, they are safe from fee or the ghost, that these ghosts exist when there is a bad death and the spirits cannot move on to rebirth, so they are lost and create danger for other spirits. At, at the hospital, she is safe with medicine and technology. At safe places, the after-death ritual is just as important as before death. After death, the transfer of merit continues, so friends and family gather and bring gifts and food to socialize, while keeping the dying one comfortable to move on to rebirth. After the funeral, monks chant and everyone bring gifts. This actually becomes of quantitative importance because the number of gifts, people, and monks benefits the rebirth. Let's talk about the next section of this ethnography that discusses the teachings of famous monk Buddhasa. He reapplied the original teachings of Buddhism to apply to modern life with rapid globalization and urbanization. He used this changing dynamic to discuss the new end of life and various other aspects of death and life in Thailand. Many people worshipped by his teachings, but his own death brought much controversy. He suddenly fell ill and was discovered to have a brain hemorrhage. He did not want to travel far to a hospital, like royals wanted him to, to do so, and to receive high levels of medical intervention. He wanted to die by his teachings. He instead went to a small hospital and got a CT scan, 
where they found that his hemorrhaging had worsened. Eventually, he went back to his temple to die. The time before his death is what caused controversy. The big question was, who had the right to decide how to care for Budasa in critical health? Because he was such an influential teacher, his followers, disciples, royals, and leaders had all ordered different ways to choreograph his death. Through the next chapter of his book and the discussion of the new end of life, we will discuss how Sonnington's time spent at conventions and trainings in Thailand medicine helped him understand more of the political controversy of Budas' death and the differing beliefs of patients to patient and family to family. At this conference, he first learned of a woman named Sephoron, who was dying of cancer and refused all medicine, medical treatment, and intervention, but she was still one of the happiest and brightest people you would ever meet. One would never be able to guess that she was dying of dying cancer patient. Through her story in Budas' death, it was clear that the form of suffering most distorted by social ills in Thai society was death itself, and that this should be confronted by treating the end of life as a slow process of experiencing leading to a gradual acceptance of nature. The next day in the, tra- in the training, they focused on palm, which is the Thai word for knots. They visited an autopsy site where he learned about untying these knots. He said at least one's own or another's end of life was a particular time when one's deepest attachments would make themselves clear making people unable to let go and face the nature of existence. And as health providers, they needed to quickly identify these and help the patients untie it. They must face the truth to release palm. He said again, we must dissolve prior attachments, face the truth, know we are dying, and face ourselves as we really are. The next day of this training, they continued this path of facing nature and reality of end of life with role playing. This training emphasized the details of choreographing end of life. The time before death is so unique to each individual. Lastly, Sonnington discusses karma masters. He said that throughout his fieldwork, every patient he met identified their disease as a karma master. Manu raised buffalo all of his life. He pierced them with nose rings and rode them. Now he is sick with tubes in his nose and permanent bowed legs that cause him pain. His disease is a karma master for the pain for the be- that the buffaloes felt. Ariat, a patient that has proven a piv- pivotal character for Sonnington, had a different outlook on the karma master. She knew she could not fully control, and resolve her karma without facing its truth. Kanawa, a young man that Sarenton followed whom taught him much about the karma masters. His left arm was paralyzed after a motorcycle accident. As a teenager, he was reckless and rode motorcycles. One day, he took a dog on his bike and wrecked it and hurt the dog very badly. It was a gruesome picture that lived with him forever. Years later, he was in a motorcycle accident again, and he swerved to avoid hitting another dog, and he wiped out and leading to paralysis. He said that the dog came back to punish him and to resolve his karma. Now his arm is part dog and chews away at him from the inside. He was different than most of the other Stonington visited because it was not the end of his life, but it was the same because it gave him an opportunity to make amends for his past sins. One of his peers' experience with karma master also involves the idea of living with another or coexisting with one's karma master. His mind was merged with another mind and was in some way a combined being similar to the nephew who sent blood to his dying uncle. In a way, they would be coexisting. The term Quan means animating spirits. People say that their bodies are made up of Quan, that give their organs vitality, and each spirit has its own history. In biomedicine, we push against the assumption that people are deemed to be partial persons in different phases of life, but this does not explain the complexity of not just being partial or ever-changing, but consisting of a combination of multiple beings, each with its own past and its own demands. 
Stonington says that maybe everything he witnessed on deathbeds in northern Thailand were hauntings. This is an excerpt from the book. He says, They were not just a notion of the presence of spirits, but a model of the composition of persons. And each haunting was equally comprised of spirits and material objects. Each dying person was full of a multitude of things, dogs, nasal cannula, quan, animating each of the organs of their bodies, blood-carrying, debt-incurring essence of mother and father. Each of these things had its own background of cause and effect, its own ethical history that made it stick to the collective. Like Ariat said when Stonington first met her, they cannot fight against the parts of unhappy wrong spirits that are part of their heart, mind, bodies, or material objects. They instead need to treat them with kindness and ask for forgiveness. Alright, so my conclusion. So many things bring a person into existence, and so many things need to be addressed in the choreography of a good death. Not only infused with beliefs of spirits, merit, moral objects, important characters at death, location of death, and paying the debt of life, but also the mechanics of biomedicine and medical intervention until the end of life. I found this book to be so strong and so fascinating. Throughout high school, I worked in a nursing home and assisted living facility, and I was often around tenants shortly before they would leave us, and I was always grateful for that to be able to witness the circle of life. So this is part of the reason that I picked this book. I wanted to learn more about the different ways people view death around the world. I was definitely not disappointed by this book. I think the way families pay back the debt of life is beautiful. I have such high regard for my grandparents. Overall, this book was so great, and I very much enjoyed reading it. I learned so much about the Thai view of end of life, and I can't wait to explore more aspects of medicine and views of life in my future. Thanks for listening to my podcast. I hope that you get the chance to pick up this book and read all about Scott Stonington's travels and amazing experiences with natives of Northern Thailand. I am Izzy Schwab, and this has been another episode of the World Ethnography Project. Go read a book, guys.